Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. everyone, Gabby here. And I'm Brenna. And welcome to the Mystery of Everything podcast. And today we're going to be talking about something that I'm sure everybody has heard about. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Is it a bear on cocaine? If you guess the third option, you are correct. We are talking about cocaine bear today. <laughs> Like the movie? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. That was cheesy, but bear with me. That? This is going to be a good episode. Out. You get it? You get it? <laughs> bear? You all get it. All right. So travel back in time with me to December 1985 when the vibes were pure and the cocaine was even pure. Was there a lot of cocaine used in 1985? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of cocaine use. And it was the good stuff. Or not the good stuff, but you know. I mean, it was 95% pure. 95% so pure. good stuff. So, I mean, I don't want to call it good to the public, but it was the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but before I can tell you about the story of a bear on cocaine, I must first tell you a story about a man. And I don't know if he was on cocaine or not, but he, he, he definitely ties into cocaine bear. So the man we're going to discuss today is Andrew Carter Thornton II, also known to his friends by Drew. And actually, we're going to travel back a little bit further in time. On October 30th, 1944, Andrew C. Thornton was born in Bourbon County, Kentucky, to proud parents Carter and Peggy Thornton. Drew grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, which is just 30 minutes from where I was born. And it was just, you know, where Stephen grew up. Stakui, yeah, where, as you all where know Stakui him. grew up, a hop, skip, and a jump away. So by all accounts, he had a wonderful, normal family life growing up. He was very privileged. Some might say he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. His family raised horses for the Kentucky Derby, and I'm pretty sure they had a few winners, which, if you know anything about Kentucky, we love our horses. What do you get if you win the Kentucky Derby? I would assume money. How much money? I'm going to look that up because that, maybe we could get a yeah, horse. That's worth a good. Is it hard to get a racehorse and you just make it run? It's sad. You know how many horses die? I'm probably going to get hate for this, but so many horses die every year for the Kentucky Derby. They run. They break a leg. You have to shoot them and put them down. It's a lot. I personally wouldn't want to race horses for the Kentucky Derby. I haven't even been to the Derby. Not even like I haven't seen the Derby in person because it's super expensive, but I go to Keeneland, which is the I've never even Lexington. been to Keeneland. Keeneland is like the Lexington horse racing place. We do it's it like twice do. a year, but you watch the Derby at Churchill Downs. Also, they split like three million dollars amongst all the winners. So like the top five. 
at the Kentucky Derby. So I'm just saying. So no wonder Andrew had it going on money wise. He never, never had to want for anything. But so, no, I've, I'm, I don't think I want to race horses. I don't think it's for me. So does Andrew get eaten by the bear? I'm, we're gonna fascinate. Ex- we're we're gonna dive into that. Yes, Andrew does. No, I'm just kidding. Andrew doesn't <laughs> get eaten by the bear. But as I was saying, he was very privileged. Silver spoon in his mouth. Family raised derby horses. Basically, he never had to want for anything in his short life. Does get eaten by the bear? He does die. Oh, by the bear? You'll you have to find <laughs> out. Near, near, near. He attended. I can't pronounce Sayer. Sayer? You've never Sayer. heard of Sayer. No. Oh my god. Okay, so I did theater in Lexington, Kentucky, and Sayer was like this private school where uh, they had money. You know, like we were poor. We were public. So Andrew school. had money attending yeah. Sayer private school. Like you'd compete with Sayer, and they would have the best of the best. They would have everything. And the jealousy. I mean, we still beat them, but damn, we had to work for it. Like we had to. Really work for it. How have I never heard of them? Oh, yeah, because I was poor. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, li- I lived a good life, too. I wouldn't say I was. I wouldn't on Andrew's level, that's for sure. But I wasn't struggling. So he also attended Gab. Do you know of this polo club? Ira Keys? How do I say that? Iroquois? Oh. Iroquois? <laughs> Iroquois? Iroquois Polo Iroquois, Club. Yeah. He, in, he attended a polo club before eventually transferring to Suwannee Military Academy. What about that one? That yeah, one's right. right. You nailed it. Yeah. Oh, military yeah. Academy. So like military school? Yeah. West Point? Couldn't tell you. Don't know. He All I know is he transferred to Suwannee Military Academy and he ended up graduating in 1962. So, so far, Drew's living quite the life. He's doing pretty well for himself. He then went on to join the ROTC and go to UK, Kentucky University, for a semester before dropping out and then fully committing to the military lifestyle by joining the Army. He really, really liked the Army over college? Do you blame him? I'm intrigued, though, because typically when you see the wealthier, more privileged men, they, you know, they go to college. Well, we're going to figure out that Drew liked excitement. That's one main, main key point through this whole story is he lived life for the thrill. He liked excitement. So after joining the Army, he trained at Fort Bragg and became a paratrooper for the 82nd Airborne Division. And he even received a Purple Heart for his service after participating in the 1965 U.S. invasion of the Dominican Republic. I didn't know that happened. I'll be honest with you, before researching this, I had no idea. They would be so disappointed in me. I didn't know we did. The U.S. did that. I had no idea. We are uneducated swan. When it comes to history. I mean, we're scientists. We're scientists. I am educated. I am educated. But some things I am ignorant on. Everybody's ignorant on a few things. That's all right. Okay, so after he received his Purple Heart, he decided to give school another try and went back for a year in 1966 before once again dropping out. After this dropout, he trained racehorses with his father and then quit the Army for good. But that didn't last for long because on Drew's next endeavor, he decided he still wanted a career with excitement or a rush, so to speak. So he joined the Lexington Fayette Urban County Police Department in 1968. So now he's going from army to police force. 
I think that's a natural segue. I, I, I could see that. I have a few friends who actually did that because they were in the military super young, like right out of college yeah. or during college. No, second lieutenant is after college. And then they did military service, decided it was not for them, dipped out to the police force. So Drew has now dipped out, joined the police force. And after being an officer for a while, he went back to school, but this time at Eastern Kentucky University, which is coincidentally where I went to college. A party school. That's neither here nor there. Literally a huge party school. I didn't even party, though. I was just there for the vibes. I was there for the biology department. Uh, they do have a really they decent have a one. They biology department. The greenhouse was my favorite place to be. Uh, so cool. I miss college. But anywho. Drew took night classes at EKU and graduated with a degree in law enforcement in 1971. But our Drew didn't stop there. He became a member of Lexington Police Department's narcotics squad in the early 1970s to fight the war on drugs. I did not expect Drew to be going in like a good guy direction. I really expected Drew to be the guy who gave the bear cocaine. You thought he was going to be the bad guy, did you? I did. Well... His best friend, Bill Kanan, was already working in the narcotics unit, so it seemed like a good fit. Drew worked on narcotics with the Louisville Office of Drug Enforcement Administration. And while still being a police officer, he even went back to school again, part-time, this time at UK College of Law, and earned a law degree in 1976. I did not expect any (laughs) of this. Like, he dropped out twice, and now he's like an... He's an overachiever, but with a purple heart, with a purple heart. He seems like a stand up guy, doesn't he? You say that and now I'm starting (laughs) to suspect he is not a stand up guy. Seems like a stand up guy. After resigning from the police in 1977, Drew practiced law in Lexington. And now that we've basically covered the background of the man who is Andrew Carter Thornton II. I couldn't take that name seriously. (laughs) We're going to focus more on his future. Overall, he seems like a swell, hardworking guy. So how does he tie into Pablo Escobar? (laughs) Bear puns. I'm trying to bear with you, but this is killing me. All right. Well, we're going to tie Drew into Pablo Escobar. So bear with me. Patience is a virtue. Oh, man. I cracked myself up. It's a knee slapper. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to give it to you straight. I might have skipped over some important events happening while Drew was a narcotics officer. He might not be the stand-up guy that I have described so far. During his time as a narcotics officer, Drew began smuggling drugs. We aren't entirely sure when the ex-narcotics officer turned drug smuggler began smuggling, But there is speculation that he began smuggling during his tenure. There are accusations that Drew and his buddy Bill Cannon, that I discussed previously, would confiscate drugs from the drug dealers and instead of turning them into evidence locker like any regular narcotics officer would do, they decided to keep it for themselves and sell the drugs for some extra money. Okay, I'm so confused. So when he worked for the DEA, he started hey, smuggling drugs, yeah. but then he went to law school yeah. and became a lawyer after his old drug smuggling. Yeah. Or was he still smuggling? I think he was still smuggling. 
Okay, so I guess Drew we know. was still smuggling. I just wanted to skip over it to make him look like a stand-up guy at first and then be like, wham, drug smuggler. Now we know how he paid for law school because that is expensive. Well, see, the thing is, like, why would Drew need extra cash? He, he was had rich. all of the money that he could ever need. My only thing that I could think of is he did it for the thrill. Um, he was known to be a show-off, a little off-topic. But once Drew tried to jump over a car while he was wearing a weapon, the weapon went off and ricocheted and he shot himself. That? It grazed his leg. He was fine afterwards, but that kind of shows you what kind of guy he was. Um, Why would you jump over a car <laughs> while wearing a weapon? Like the safety wasn't even on, bro. No. He shot himself. Like, I want to like Drew. Can I you imagine his, you don't want to like him. But can you imagine his embarrassment? Like a guy like that and then you shoot yourself? He wouldn't be embarrassed. Like a guy like that is just going to laugh it off. He's just going to tell that story like, damn, I am insane. And he's just, if you don't feel embarrassed, you won't like, no one's judging you. You know, like if you fall down, you just act like it was fine and everybody moves on. I think he would have done that. He just sounds like he would have done like that. I feel like he's the kind of guy who thought he was the bee's knees and like nothing could touch him. Except for that bullet. <laughs> Except for that bullet that grazed his leg. Okay, so this is where um, the story is not funny anymore, and it takes a turn for the extra dark. <sighs> this part gets sad. Okay, so I was about to say bear with me again, but this is not a laughing matter. This part is very sad. Okay. So in the late 70s, our nar narcotics squad began looking for people who could become informants for them. And if we remember, there are accusations at this point in time that Drew and his buddy Bill are taking the drugs that they take from drug dealers and are selling it on the side. So they're crooked. Basically, they're crooked cops. So while the narcotics squad is looking for people to become informants, this is where a woman by the name of Melanie Flynn comes into the picture. And Melanie met Bill Cannon, and he wanted her to become an informant for him. He wanted her to fill him in on drug users, purchasers, etc. going on in the area. Melanie thought she was being helpful and just being a good person doing the right thing. She didn't know at first that the men she was working with are sneaky and dangerous, but she eventually gets a little suspicious that Drew and Bill could be behind the flow of drugs coming into Lexington. So Melanie leaves work one day to head home and is never seen again. Her car was found abandoned in an apartment complex in Lexington, and her last known whereabouts were about two blocks away from where her vehicle was, and she was seen talking to two people in a dark van. Okay, when you told me the spoiler that a woman dies, yeah. I assumed the cocaine bear no. was the culprit. No. Drew Not and Drew. Bill were the culprits, allegedly. Okay, well. Anywho, so, you know, she works with them. She gets wind that they are crooked. Melanie disappears. Could Bill and Drew have caught wind that she was on to them and then, you know, she was about to report them to the authorities? Could the two people in the van that she was seen talking to have been Bill and Drew? We don't know. It was never proven. But Melanie Flynn is still missing to this day. Other than her car being found, a pocketbook of hers was found in the Kentucky River. And we don't know what really happened to her, but Melanie is a true victim in this case. And my thoughts and prayers go out to her family. And I hope that one day they can get the answers they deserve and that Melanie can be laid to rest. 
I have my suspicions on what happened to Melanie, as does the rest of Lexington. And now you know why we don't like Drew. Now we know. Now I mean, we know. There were a few signs from the beginning. Yeah, there were a few signs that we weren't going to like but Drew. He but he chose the like the path you would think an upstanding citizen would take. A lawyer. I think he liked the thrill. I really do. Like, I think he was addicted to, I, he continued to try to one-up everything he did throughout Sky his life. Skydiving. Yeah. Deep sea scuba diving. Rock climb Mount Everest. Anything other than drug dealing. Drug dealing I don't, and, and now murder. Wait, allegedly. allegedly. And now allegedly murder. Do with that information what you will. I think we know what happened. But there are rumors that Drew was under an internal affairs investigation, which then led him to quit the police force in 1977. So now that he's no longer a police officer, he can spend all his free time smuggling drugs into Kentucky. Drew wants more. He begins searching for new partners and recruits a man by the name of Bradley Bryant, who is an old school friend um, who also lived in Lexington, Kentucky. They went to private school together. A boy's boy, so to speak. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Kiss <laughs> my girl's girl. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, me. Bradley was Drew's best man at his wedding, so you can say that they were pretty close. Pretty close bros. Drew got married? Drew did get married. There's not really much on that. I don't, it didn't work. It, did she like, catch on? There's, how could you not? Fair. It seems I mean, like he wasn't the marrying type. But you know? Okay, well, I get that. But he... How would she, you know, if he's dealing drugs, he's a lawyer, he's hiding all of that. Potentially, he could hide it from his wife if he was smart about it. Men hide stuff from their wives every day. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. That's why I'm not married. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I am happily engaged. I have jokes. Sorry. Anyways, so Bradley is Drew's tie-in to organized crime all around the country. Bradley decides to take a trip to Las Vegas and is introduced to Lee and Jimmy Chagra. Chagra. Who are these brothers, you might ask? Are you asking? I am asking, who are these brothers? Well, these brothers are huge in the drug business with connections to South America, Mexico, Colombia. This helped them import insane amounts of marijuana. That was it? They weren't importing cocaine? No, not yet. Right now, they're just, they're sticking to the pot. They used a four-engine cargo aircraft that was a World War II plane to carry tons of marijuana into Kentucky from South America to Florida over North Georgia. <coughs> cocaine bear. But anyways, and, and then to Kentucky. 10,000 pounds of marijuana. $5 million worth of marijuana. How do they get a plane 
to smuggle in drugs? Because that is a good question. Did they just hire a private plane and say, hey, don't mind these ginormous bags of grass. It's organic for the horses. I imagine with the amount of money that Drew had, he could probably just buy up the plane. And then Especially if he's making pilot. extra bank by smuggling in 10,000 pounds of marijuana. And he, I mean, he essentially is a pilot. He's, he's a paratrooper. Was he like a criminal defense attorney? I just no, need I to don't know. know. It would add to the But that war. would make more sense. Okay, so they're smuggling drugs into Kentucky. Fast forward a little bit. In 1978, Lee Chagra was assassinated in, in his office. So the brothers that got Bradley and drew the connections in the first place, now one of them has been assassinated. Most likely in retaliation for some kind of deal gone wrong, but that is just me speculating. I don't actually have any proof of that. But within months of his brother's death, Jimmy, the other brother, is arrested in relation to drug trafficking charges. What? Who would have thought, right? But the day before Jimmy's trial was scheduled to start, the judge who would be overseeing the trial was assassinated in his driveway. What are the odds? Who would have thought? The judge's name was Judge John Wood, and he was known for giving out maximum punishment. So, okay, so we've got the two brothers. So Bradley meets the two brothers in Las Vegas. That's where he gets his connection to drug smuggling in, like, South America, Colombia, etc. Fast forward a little bit. They've been smuggling marijuana for a while. One of the brothers is assassinated. Lee. Lee is assassinated in his office. Then when, within months of his brother's death, Jimmy gets arrested, the other brother. So Jimmy and Lee, gone, out of the picture. So that leaves Bradley and Drew. So Jimmy's going to trial. The judge that's overseeing his trial, who's known for giving maximum punishment, just the day before the trial starts, gets assassinated in his driveway. I think it's so smart. And I love that they incorporated this into their little timeline to kill the judge. Like, just add murder on the your- day. Well, they already have murder on their belt. <laughs> well, yeah, but another one. You're just well, they had allegedly. Them. Allegedly. Yeah. But allegedly stacking bodies. Yes. Allegedly stacking bodies. So. And I don't want to say like anything related to murder is fun because it's not. But this fact is pretty cool. If I do say so myself, the hitman hired was Charles Harrelson. And if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because it's Woody Harrelson's father. Who? Please Google Woody Harrelson right now. He is a very famous actor. He was in Zombieland. He was in a lot of other things. I love him. Oh, I know that guy. He was yeah. pretty funny. The hitman hired was his dad, which is just, that's not important to this case whatsoever. I just was like, what the hell? What is important, though, is um, did killing the judge get him out of prison? No. No, it did not. He still went on um, to serve 30 years in prison. It wasn't even worth it. <laughs> no. No. Well, I mean, I don't know if 30 years is like maximum or not, but. Let's see. Drug trafficking. Maximum charges? sentence. Can I Google that without ending up on a list? Yeah, I Google all kinds of stuff because I do toxicology in the lab. Okay. I Google everything about drugs all day long. Not less than 20 years or more than life. So he got pretty standard, I guess. Maybe it was worth it. So he could have gone life. 
but he couldn't have multiple life sentences, just one. I wonder if he got charged like for the murder, even though he wasn't the hitman. He scheduled the hit, and they proved that he scheduled the hit. Yep. Oh, well, well, hell. Anyways, so now more attention is being brought onto Drew. So does Drew cut his losses in bail? Yes. No. No, he doesn't. Damn. They gambled on, and then Bradley's luck ran out. In 1981, Bradley was arrested at a Philadelphia airport. He had a huge supply of automatic weapons, night vision goggles, sophisticated communication gear, and even more. Plus, more weapons were later found at a Lexington warehouse owned by Bradley. Lexington was a I literal know. crime hotspot. I know. Like, we live here, Right you guys. down the road. We're like, what, a good 15 from, from the Lex? And then all this is happening? Well, it's before we were born, but still. Also, he was just taking um, automatic weapons, night vision goggles, and sophisticated communication gear. I want to know more about airport. the sophisticated communication gear. I'm assuming it was like a advanced walkie-talkie or some sort of radio. What was it in I'm just imagining like spy gear. That's, I feel like they were, were in full spy. Like the movies, they had it going on. Airports sounded like a lawless place. It really did. How are they getting away with Automatic so weapons in an airport? Oh, gosh. I don't know. But he is sentenced to 15 years behind bars. Um, he also, okay, so a little stupid on Bradley's part. But he left behind a notebook in his warehouse with... Not only that had Drew's name on it, but it also had some code words used for smuggling pot. <laughs> so it connected Drew. Why would they <laughs> use their real names? They're like, I just picture like a little scribbled notebook. It's like Andrew Carter Thornton the <laughs> second, and then a bunch of code words for smuggling pot. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Jane dealer. <laughs> yeah, Mary, Mary Jane. Um, South America, Kentucky. <laughs> North Georgia. With like a little airplane drawing, a little doodle. <laughs> they were amateurs. They literally were not good at this. Shit. So, of course, now that attention is being brought to Drew, he goes MIA for a little while. But just because we don't hear about Drew doesn't mean he stopped smuggling. He's what? Everybody. He is, he is continuing to smuggle during this time. What? Everybody is in jail or dead? All of his every, every all of his accomplices are in jail or dead right now. Except for Bill. Old Bill Cannon's still still rolling around. Good for Bill. <laughs> Bad for Bill? I'm not rooting for them at all <laughs> in any circumstances. Okay, so Drew is out there just living the life, smuggling the drugs, and then he is caught in North Carolina. With a plane full of nothing. He is pulled over in North Carolina. I don't know how one does that. Pull, you pull over a plane. Air traffic control goes, flight 299 heading towards Lexington. We need Grab you to land right now. Grab that guy. So he makes sky. a stop in North Carolina. And then they're like, search him now. Search him now. They found nothing. So either... Drew is incredibly lucky, or somebody would most likely tipped him off. Like, but if hey, he was on the plane already, how'd they tip him off? Like, Bill was like, hey. Somebody had to be like, hey, drop your load. Who's to say that? Never mind. I'm jumping too far ahead. But maybe, maybe he, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like he did get tipped off. 
And maybe he was like, I'm just going to fly there anyway. No, I, he's too smart to do that if he yeah. was tipped off. Because so, he was already laying low. He yeah, knew. so maybe he was just incredibly lucky. Like maybe he was on the return trip. He just sold everything already. Yeah, and was headed back or something. I think that and was just super it. lucky because he's too smart. He wouldn't have flew there if he would have been tipped off, I don't think. Anyways, he only serves five months in prison. Sorrows. Prayers. <laughs> Sorrows. So now I bet you're thinking, you know what? Drew gave up his life of crime. He got back on the straight and narrow. Settled down with his wife that he already had. Lived a long life in Lexington before finding the cocaine bear while, on a, while he was on a leisurely hike. Well, I was thinking more he quit his life of crime. He got a pet bear. Um, he named it Pablo Escobar. And he fed it cocaine one day. Yeah. Is that where your head was at? Yeah. Well, we're both wrong. Because he continued to smuggle on. No, he drew. Yeah, he continued smuggling. So now that Drew's been smuggling marijuana for a while and distributing it throughout the state of Kentucky, he began to make quite a substantial amount of money from the drops. And not from lawyering. Not from lawyering. And one would think that would be enough for Drew. But no, no, it's not. As we can see from Drew's patterns, enough is never enough. So he decided to move on to bigger, but not quite better things. Drew began smuggling kilos of cocaine. He really wanted to up. Like, he was like, listen, this is not thrilling. This is just some low level. This is mediocre. Who gets fun out of smuggling in pot? I mean, come on. Really? Really? Way to step up his game. And he did. Drew did step up his game. He can make 10 times the amount of money as he was smuggling marijuana, but with smaller, less noticeable plane. Because kilos, smaller amount. Marijuana. Oh, because it's powder. Yeah. Powder packed into smaller containers worth way more money. That's Use genius. a smaller plane. Yep. So by 1983, he's smuggling cocaine from Colombia to America. Why does Colombia have so much cocaine? Like, do they just make They're it? They're like the cocaine place. Yeah. Interesting. Is it legal there? That's worth a goog. I'm going to assume no. But I don't know. I've watched videos about the process of making cocaine. The top Google search is, is cocaine legal in Oregon? Ooh. Um, Oregon, what are you doing? So, no. Colombia does not have legalized cocaine. But you can legally carry up to one gram. And this is all according to Google. So don't trust it. I don't know. So why is Colombia so good at making cocaine? What does Google have to say? Okay. Colombia is known for being the world's leading producer of coca for many years. Worldwide demand for psychoactive drugs during the 1960s and 70s resulted in increased production and processing of the plant in Colombia. So they grow the plant there. And cocaine produced at 1500 per kilo in jungle labs can be sold on the streets of the U.S. for as much as 50000 per kilo. Damn. So I'm assuming they just have a great climate for growing the plant. They grow the plant. They can process it. They just hit the ground running during their 60s and the 70s. And this is straight up from and Wikipedia. And it's super pure. 95% pure. Wikipedia is the only one that had the answer. I feel like it's so suspicious. I'm just Googling drug-related stuff. Like, this is gonna get me flat. No, it's not. Trust me. I'm also gonna Google our podcast just so that they know it's for a podcast. 
I Google about drugs all the time at work. That's because you're a toxicologist. Exactly. But Google doesn't know that. Okay. Well. Okay. So there are many things about the night of September the 10th, 1985 that we don't know. But one thing we for sure know is that Andrew C. Thornton II died while smuggling a bunch. I didn't mean to laugh. (laughs) Why did you laugh? (laughs) Sorry. This is a very serious moment. He died while smuggling a bunch of cocaine from Colombia into the United States. His death is not funny. The circumstances that come from his death might get a giggle out of people. It might not. I don't know. Death is never funny. Anywho, he passed Cuba and Florida just like planned. But what happened next? Plane crash? Well, um, yeah. But he didn't make his landing in Georgia like he had intended to. For some reason, he began dumping packages of cocaine near Blairsville, Georgia. He attached duffel bags filled with cocaine to parachutes before tossing them into the sky. Was he trying to dump it? Why would he attach it to parachutes if he was just dumping to get not caught? I have a feeling he was dumping to get it down safely at a marked location to go back and retrieve his cocaine later. That is, I mean, he's a smart man. But that's dicey because you're not going to be able to 100% find the exact location. Unless he had tried. Per chance you already had people down there, maybe. Maybe. And they could just spot it and see kind of where it fell. See the parachute coming, scope it out. But that wasn't his, what we think was his plan. His plan was to smuggle it into Lexington, Kentucky. He was supposed to make a pit stop. And obviously that is not what happened that night. So he's got duffel bags filled with cocaine attached to parachutes and just tosses them into the sky for them to land. And then Drew set the airplane to autopilot before he jumped from the Cessna 404. He became caught in his parachute and free fell to his death, hitting the ground in the gravel driveway of an 85-year-old Fred Myers in Knoxville, Tennessee. So we don't know why the main chute and the reserved chute did not inflate. Like we've talked previously, he is a trained paratrooper. It's not like he's just some guy in a plane jumping out of it. He had training. But whenever his body was found, he had a cut on his head. Perhaps he hit his head jumping out of the plane and became unconscious. Or perhaps the massive load of cocaine that he had attached to him smacked him in the face and knocked him out. Or what if there was someone else on the plane? Like he got hijacked. What if he got double crossed? Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, in St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic 
today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Dun, dun, dun. We're going to jump into that theory in just a second. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was just saying it. So his plane crashed about 60 miles away in Hayesville, North Carolina, from where Drew's body was located. Drew died wearing a bulletproof vest and very spiffy jumping shoes. A lot of people are like, oh, he died wearing Gucci loafers. He did not die wearing Gucci loafers. However, his jumping shoes were so fancy that they would be equivalent to like wearing Gucci loafers in the real world. They're just very high-end jumping shoes. He was rich after all from the smuggling. He was very rich. He also had in his possession some night vision goggles because that's what him and his buddies do is wear night vision goggles. He had two pistols, six one-ounce Krugerrands. Krugerrands. Thank you, Gabby. He had a watch that shot out tear gas. Wait, they make those? I didn't know that that's a thing. But apparently for Drew it is. He had a watch that shot out tear gas. Can I Google that? Please do. He had 4500 in cash. And I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, yeah. He also had a green army duffel bag containing 75 pounds of cocaine valued at $15 million. And that's how much he had on him, not yeah, how much he that, dumped. That's how much he strapped to his body. Yeah, wow. that's not how much he dumped. So, and we also think, so this one duffel bag had 75 pounds of cocaine in it. We theorize that every single duffel bag that he dropped had 75 pounds of cocaine in it. So that's $15 million multiplied by however many duffel bags were dropped. We're not exactly certain about the amount of duffel bags that were dropped that night or that night. But can you imagine? I just want to know, like, what, what transpired? What changed to make him have to change his plans? I don't know. We're going to dive into the theories in a second. So why did Drew jump out of the plane? That's one of the main mysteries that no one exactly knows to this day. We don't know why he jumped out of the plane. There are rumors that say he was paranoid he was being followed by law enforcement and was maybe trying to throw him off of the case. Law enforcement officials say that they were not on his tail that night and no one was following Drew, or at least not from law enforcement. No law enforcement was chasing him. And even then, like, Drew was prepared. He had parachutes for each one of his duffel bags, which makes me believe that was his initial plan was to dump each one of his duffel bags or else why would you have had parachutes for all of them? That, what if he pissed off, like, one of the suppliers that he was working with and so he had to dump it because they were coming to get him. Like, maybe he didn't pay for it. So that is another theory is that Drew was trying to make the Colombian suppliers think that he was dead. So by intentionally crashing the airplane and then being like, oh, the cocaine was destroyed in the crash. That's another theory that he strategically was dropping the cocaine and then jumping out himself, setting the plane to autopilot, knowing it would crash. They would find the plane, assume he was dead, assume cocaine was burned. That, however, doesn't fly with a lot of people. Um, Did you mean to make the pun? Because oh, I, I, I don't know not. if I should laugh. I did not mean to make that pun. Look at me. No, I actually did not mean to make that pun. That was a good one. 
The majority of people who knew Drew say that this is not the case and that he was far too intelligent to risk stealing from the cartel, who knew everything about him entirely and could easily hunt him down and kill him. He is far too intelligent to be dealing drugs when everybody else has been caught. So I don't know, man. You have a good point there. And like I said before, you know, he clearly had intentions of throwing the cocaine overboard because he had the parachutes to throw them overboard. And our next theory that we're going to talk about is that, like you said before, he had a partner on the plane. Drew parachuted into a residential area. But months after Drew's body was found, another parachute was found at a far end of a nearby airway. A parachute that was, we're assuming a human was in. There was no body with it, but a parachute was found. Wow. Okay, so maybe. Mm-hmm. Could have gotten double-crossed, potentially. But then the majority of the cocaine was found. Well, I mean, we actually don't know how many duffel bags there were. So, But, so who did Drew trust enough to have them on the plane with him? My theory is old buddy Bill Cannon. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because yeah. he's the only one left. Yeah, ex-narcotics Bill Cannon. But later on, another Bill came forward and stated that he was the other person on the plane. A man named Bill Leonard, who we haven't even heard anything about this entire time. But in 1990, he told a story to a journalist stating that Drew talked him into traveling with him to help him out with security. But Bill didn't know that they would be going all the way to Columbia. So Bill says that he was an accomplice, but was completely unwilling and tricked. So another thing that I kind of find fault in that. And people do say that Bill Leonard's like a stand-up guy who wouldn't just be making this up. But how did Bill Leonard survive while paratrooper Drew Gordon died? I are we sure this Bill was on the plane? Like, no. Maybe we, it all been... we have to go by is this Bill saying he was on the plane. We have absolutely no proof. We do have a parachute that someone Probably jumped out of the to plane. to be someone else who's on the plane I and knocked him like over the was, head and threw him. I kind of feel like it was Bill Cannon, which Bill Cannon ends up getting arrested later on in life. And then he died in, I think, 2020. I completely forgot. But where is the bear? Where is this cocaine bear? <laughs> it's been 40 minutes. Bear with me again. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> We're getting into that. I'm getting grizzly right now. <laughs> okay. So... Several duffel bags were dropped that night with parachutes attached. This leads us to our bear. You would have waited a few more minutes. I'm sorry. I'm in pain. I looked over and I was like, wait, this isn't Drew's story. This is the, I mean, good old let's be Escobar. honest. This is a this is a Drew story. It really is. He yeah. he he And who would have thought, like, so whenever I first got into writing this episode, I was like, hell yeah, cocaine bear. This is gonna be fun. I made myself watch Cocaine Bear movie. And I say made myself because I'm sorry. What the fuck? I haven't seen it because I saw the promo and I'm like, this looks terrible. Oh, it's so stupid. It's like Sharknado. It gives off Sharknado vibes. I did like Sharknado just because it was so dumb. But I feel like a bear on okay, cocaine isn't so, the worst thing ever. You know, it's so not I kind of did like Cocaine Bear too. The first 20 minutes I started watching it, I turned it off because I was like, this is so fucking dumb. But then I was like, Brenna, you have an episode to write. You have to watch Cocaine Bear. You can't write about Cocaine Bear and not have watched Cocaine Bear. 
So I did make myself watch it. And at the end, I caught myself feeling bad for Cocaine Bear. Spoilers. If you haven't seen Cocaine Bear, fast forward like five minutes, maybe. But at the end of Cocaine Bear, she dies. Yes, it's a she in movie. But she dies. From the cocaine? No, from the, the bad guy. Rest in peace, Ray Liotta. It's a bad guy. That's the, the actual actor that plays him died. But anywho, so she falls off a cliff and hits the ground and dies. Or does she die? Because cocaine drifts through the air. And then her little nose does a little sniff. And she sniffs up cocaine. Boom. Back to life. Back to fighting bad guys. Her cubs are on cocaine. It's just a family of cocaine. They're fighting the bad guys. They're living their best life. It's, it's very dumb. It's such a dumb movie. But I would advise you all to watch it. If you can get past the first 20 minutes, then it's worth watching. Because it is kind of funny. Skip the first 20 minutes. Write that down. I mean, there's a, it, there's a death scene in the first 20 minutes. If you're into that sort of thing, the bear rips the lady's leg off and you're like, ooh. But it is so CGI. It's like when The Walking Dead made a CGI deer instead of the, it just recorded a deer. It's one of those where you're like, really? I don't, I haven't seen Walking Dead. Okay, so we're just, we're going to, a tiny tangent, two minute tangent. I'm a diehard Walking Dead fan. I love it. The beginning seasons are chef's kiss. And they actually film a real, a real deer in the beginning seasons. They had a budget to film a real, a real deer. Good for them. And then you go down a few seasons and they do a fucking CGI deer. Maybe they ran out of money. Wait, I feel like it'd be more expensive. They, it would be more expensive and it looks so dumb. It looks fake. And you're just like, really, guys? Like, it ruins everything for you. I didn't remember a deer being an important plot point to The Walking Dead. I thought that was the zombies. And that's the thing is it's not. Like, yes, a certain someone gets shot because of a deer. But it, they could have used, I don't know. They could have used a real deer. I'm just... I love how you blue ball this for 40 minutes about the bear. We finally get to the bear. <laughs> and now I'm going on a really tangent want. about the walking dead. We're going to get some reviews that are like, this is the worst podcast I've ever listened to. They didn't even get to the fucking point. Because it's going to happen. I'm getting to the point. And okay. it's going to be a review from me. One star. <laughs> Guys. Like, all right. So now we're circling back. I don't even know how I got on that tangent. I don't even remember. I was talking about Cocaine Bear, the movie. Anywho. So, December of 1985, three months after Drew was found dead, a dead black bear was also found with cocaine in its belly in the Chattahoochee National Forest. The bear was discovered by a hunter. That makes sense. And thus, the legend of the cocaine bear began. The bear had been found with a duffel bag matching the one found with Drew. Which leads us to assume that it ate some of Drew's cocaine, the 95% pure cocaine. So this duffel bag, like I said, with all the other duffel bags, was thought to have, have contained 75 pounds of cocaine. The bear had eaten the cocaine and presumably overdosed. No, the bear did not rage out and kill people. Wait, not even one? Not even one. The movie is full of shit. It'll pop up in the beginning and be like, based on true events... The only true event is that a bear ate cocaine and that a man jumped out of an airplane. 
And if you go downtown Lexington, there is a store that has a bear that they claim is the cocaine bear. <gasps> We're going to get into that too. Is it um, not real? I have a picture of this bear. I thought it was real. Brenna. Gap. Damn it. We're going to, we're going to, we'll, we'll circle back. We'll circle back in a second. <sighs> okay. So the bear didn't rage out. It didn't kill people. We don't know exactly what happened in the minutes before the bear's death, but it appears that it ingested cocaine into its belly and basically died on the spot. There was no cocaine left in the duffel bag. Police theorized that the quote unquote bad guys got the rest of the cocaine. So that ties back into our theories that maybe he had people on the ground waiting because the bear didn't consume 75 pounds of cocaine, yet the cocaine, was all of it was gone. Every bit of it. Someone found that cocaine. Some people were like, oh, maybe it blew away in the wind. No, no, 75 pounds of cocaine didn't blow away in the wind. Something happened to it. So, no, the cocaine didn't blow away in the wind. I agree with the theory that bad guys came and got it. So the pathologist that examined the bear's body theorized that the bear only ingested about three grams of cocaine and then died within his first or second bite. Now for my question. Do you can only eat three grams as a bear? So if you're a human, what happens if you eat too much cocaine? Did you just die immediately? You know, I don't know. Because in Cocaine Bear, there's two teenagers that eat cocaine. Cocaine Bear is not real. We've though. established <laughs> that that movie was for. <laughs> no, I don't know. I've never even heard about people eating cocaine in the first place. I've never learned anything about drugs but now i'm like how do people do it without overdosing like super easily easily well, i mean snorting cocaine is completely different than ingesting it into your belly and three grams is a lot of cocaine i know you think when you think three grams you don't think of it as being a high amount most people whenever they do cocaine they're probably only getting i would assume like a gram at a time is if am i gonna be put on that list now if i google how much cocaine is too much cocaine no, because they're going to assume you don't know anything about cocaine. Okay, if you're asking that question in the first place. And people don't eat cocaine. I mean, they'll probably like put it in their mouth to see if it's good or not. Because their mouth will go numb if it is good. That's how people tell. You never watched a movie? Gabby hasn't seen a lot of movies. But people will like dip their finger in, put the cocaine in their mouth. If their mouth goes numb, they're like, oh, this cocaine is worth a shit. I'm so and then glad you watched so many morning. movies. I know a lot about a little and oh. a little about a lot. Oh, my gosh. You guys want to hear about cocaine? Can I can I just say? Go right okay. ahead. So stage one, you just have elevated blood pressure, increased heart rate and rapid breathing, which I think is probably what would happen if you yeah. do a stimulant. That's just normal. Stage two, loss of bladder control. You will pee Aww. yourself. Hyperthermia and seizures. That's not even the worst. That sounds terrifying. Stage three, respiratory failure, cardiac arrest and loss of vital functions. Is that what happened to the bear? I am so fucking sad right now. That's what happened to the bear. I'm sure I was telling someone when I was writing this episode, I was like, I'm so sad because I feel so bad for that poor bear. And then the person was like, oh, they probably had the best 30 minutes of their life before they died. Nope. No, they probably had like sweating and seizures and pissed itself and heart attack. That is so sad. We should trigger warning this episode. Yeah, let's just record that at the end. Wow. Okay. Oh, that is so sad. I thought this would be a fun episode, but you're really bumming me out. Well, this true story about cocaine bear is not fun. It's very sad. 
Like I said, if I had to speculate, I think Drew probably had a ground crew pick up the remaining cocaine and the bear did not consume it all because it was many, many kilos. Also, I know you all are wondering, is the stuffed cocaine bear real? Is it real? The bear on display in a Kentucky mall is not the cocaine bear. They claim it is, so it is allegedly not cocaine bear. But the bear that was found in a forest that day was not in good enough condition to have been able to be taxidermied. I don't know if the taxidermied bear is the real deal. I don't know if we will ever know, but do with that information what you will. The GBI agent, the uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigations agent, says that the bear on display was not her bear that she stumbled upon to investigate that day in the forest. And I'm not going to lie, I believe her. She's, I mean, she's the one who investigated cocaine bear in the first place. So the real cocaine bear is lost to history, much like a lot of this story. Fun little side note. Not fun. Kind of fun. Depends on how you feel about it. Cocaine bear is not the only animal in Georgia that has been exposed to the cocaine. In September of 1982, a farmer found a blue canister in his pasture with his cows, and his cows had gotten into the canister. The cows had white powder all over their noses, and they too were on cocaine, but they did not die to my knowledge. So that's just a little tidbit. Why is there so much cocaine in Georgia? But and during this time period in 1982, Drew wasn't um, smuggling cocaine yet. He was still in his marijuana stages. So I don't know where the cocaine came from. The brothers. I don't know if the brothers were, were fiddling because the brothers hadn't met Bradley yet. Bradley and Drew were the ones that bought, brought it to Kentucky. Valid. Um, very valid. Anywho, um, if you want to watch an amazing documentary on this where I got basically all of my information don't watch Cocaine Bear. <laughs> <laughs> now, Cocaine Bear is a good movie, but it is not true. If you want the truth behind it, everything I got, ex- except for a little Wikipedia in there, because I love my Wikipedia. But on Peacock, it is called Cocaine Bear, the true story. It is the true story. It shows you um, police footage. It shows you Drew on the ground. Um, that sounds like they need... I don't think disclaimer. it. I don't think they showed the real Drew. Okay, but anyways, it shows it all. So if you're really interested and you want to see more, it. I mean, JJ, one of the police officers at the time who investigated it, he gives you his side of things. It is a. It's a really interesting thing. Anywho, it's worth a watch. So um, that is the story of Cocaine Bear. Not much about the bear itself. If I would have just explained the bear, then. This would have been like three minutes long. <laughs> yeah. If you cut out the part where you talked about the movie, it would have been like 15 seconds. <laughs> but I think that the real interesting story behind this was not about the bear, but it was about the man who dropped the cocaine that the bear found. I'm just really disappointed that I've been fed this lie because you guys, when I moved to Lexington, um, I told my friend from Kentucky, oh, yeah, I'm moving to Lexington and I've moved here from Orlando, like Florida. And his response was, "Um, people are going to say this. And I just want you to know that it's not true. We do, in fact, wear shoes. We're not just all barefoot. And that was my indication that when I moved to Lexington, Kentucky, um, 
the story about the bear was something that would probably be believable because it's like one of the only claims to fame other than the Derby. So. I think Andrew is far more interesting than the bear. I love the bear fact. I was, I told everybody, I was like, oh yeah, we the have bear cocaine fact bear. is sad. <laughs> well, the true bear fact is sad. The true bear fact is sad. A cocaine bear did not rage out and, and kill a bunch of people. I'm glad it didn't rage out and kill a bunch of people. Or if it did, we don't know about it. I'm assuming it didn't because we found its body next to the duffel bag and it was like it had been there six weeks or so. It was decomposing. Do you think they found a duffel bag, found a dead bear, just grabbed the cocaine and left? That's kind of disturbing. The hunter? The hunter is the one who found it. And then the police came and there was no Well, no, the empty left. duffel. Like the people who... Oh, yeah. I think if, if Drew's people are the ones who were waiting and picked it up, I do think they found the dead bear, got all the cocaine out and went on their way. They were probably like, oh, shit, a dead bear. Huh, funny. And went on because they're probably the kind of people that think that shit's funny. Probably. <laughs> but anyway, guys, thank you for listening. And Brenna, thank you for this I know. It was ride. a lot. It was a roller coaster. And I would just like to say, um, I know that a lot of stuff pertaining to cocaine bear is funny. But these people have family out there. I do apologize to Andrew's family, the Thorntons, because I'm sure they're alive and well in Lexington, Kentucky. And that's a very shitty thing to have to experience. They did lose a son. I am sorry to that family and the family of Melanie also that it's shitty. It's shitty for everyone involved, basically. And we do like to laugh about cocaine bear, but there were a lot of people affected by this and it is very sad and fucked up. So, um, yeah, don't do cocaine. Don't smuggle it. Don't smuggle it. If you want to do it, don't uh, kill a bunch of people. And that's our advice. That's really all I have to tell you. Um, also, you got any interesting stories? Send it into our email at mysteryofeverything at gmail.com. It'll be linked in the description as well, just in case. Yeah, you can DM us on Instagram, Mystery of Everything Podcast. But make sure to leave us a review, you guys, because those will help our podcast grow and move up the charts in the algorithm because there's a lot of competition and nobody actually knows how the charts work so please leave us reviews they help us yeah and subscribe to our patreon which we'll make right after this episode. yeah we don't have one yet we'll have one now um yeah so this has been an adventure it's been it's been real it's been fun but it ain't been real fun i will talk to you guys in a week bye bye Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. 
It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.